It's time for our ever-popular segment, History on a Plate, with the gourmet godfather, John Mayorana. And great to talk to you, John. G'day, Harvey. How are you going? Going very well indeed, John. I hope you're staying dry in this uh, rather wet winter we're having. It's very difficult to stay dry. You know, I go outside and the, uh, the ground nearly swallows me up. There's so much water on it. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's, it is indeed. It's, it's a good thing. You know, we've, we've beaten the, the July average already. We're only halfway through it. I know. Isn't that good? Yeah. Now, yeah. John, over the last few segments, we've been sort of, I, I suppose, breaking up uh, food history into various decades, which has been very, very interesting indeed. And uh, tonight, well, we're going right back in time, aren't we, in a sense? Yeah, look, uh, the last segment we did, we talked about modern Australian food and we just we virtually left it there. But uh, a very important component of modern Australian cuisine is the uh, sort of emphasis back on natural bush tucker, we might call it, or uh, indigenous uh, pr- produce that are available to us. And a lot of the very good restaurants are now taking that on board and using it to a great extent. So I thought we might try and work out how our Indigenous friends were surviving in the pre-1788 time and what we've taken and learned from them and used uh, in our own cooking now. And a lot of the restaurants are doing it. You know, I'll mention some later on. Good. But... Uh, a very interesting aspect of uh, all of this, Harvey, is that um, they have the, the Noongas have six seasons. Yes, and and that breaks the food up. You know, our four seasons stretch over a longer period, and the rest, one of our some of our best restaurants like to take seasonal aspect of food, and this way they get six changes in a year. Looking at the Birak, the Bonnaroo, etc., those six uh, seasons defined by the Noongar people. And uh, some of the restaurants, uh, two that come to mind, particularly Yarry's in uh, Dunsborough and um, Fleur in Perth, they really have taken some board and talk about the six seasons in the way they present their menu. So that's uh, a big uh, change. In the time when the European settlement first came to Australia, uh, generally it was thought that the the Aboriginals were hunter-gatherers only. But uh, on reflection and on research, they found that they were hunters and gatherers in a way, but they circled back to places that they knew would be their food would be available at different seasons of the of the year. So, and also they were planting some food and leaving and coming back to it. So it was, there was a little bit more than just hunters and hunters and gatherers up to then. But their, their main produce in that time was um, kangaroos and wallabies if they could get them. You know they had the uh, ways of uh, trying to catch them. They were caught mostly by some sort of boomerang, but not the sort of boomerang we think of that comes back to you. Boomerang that sort of hits and, hits and stuns, I guess it would have been. Uh, they had a great love for bandicoots, possum, lizards, and other animals. Uh, birds, they hunted with spears. Uh, and yams and other root plants, fruit, vegetables, seeds, leaves, and honey were also sought. The work was divided mainly between the males who did the heavy hunting and the females who did the gathering of fruits, vegetables and fields. So it's um, uh, an, an interesting uh, look at the sort of product that they had and uh, what they were doing with it. Uh, I came across an, ex- an expression called stick fire stick farming. Uh, it's also known as cultural burning for the Aboriginal. And this was burning that was uh, done so the ground could be regenerated 
And uh, I think it is still practiced in some Aboriginal communities these days, regularly using fire to burn off vegetation and uh, refresh the ground. Uh, I hadn't heard that expression before. I don't What's know it where called? You come fire, stick, fire stick farming. Fire stick farming, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah an expression I came across. Uh, the cultivation of food crops for them was much more widespread than we, we think, but especially so amongst the Torres Strait Islanders, where they used, they grew, amongst other things, bananas and coconuts and yams. Um, we can't forget that in Central Australia, one of the great delicacies was the witchetty grubs. Oh, yeah. They were commonly <laughs> eating witchetty grubs were the larvae of uh, large moths. Moths were very big in, in their in the diet of the, the Aboriginals often. Uh, and the big old moths were, were ground to a paste and, and then uh, eaten that way. But these were just the, the larvae, uh, which was set in... Uh, trees which has a soft bark, and underneath the bark you'd find the, uh, the witchetty grubs. Have you ever tried witchetty grubs? Well, believe it or not, uh, I sort of have. I was uh, lucky enough to be in um, Alice Springs on one occasion at the Sheraton Hotel and on what they call in the tourism industry an educational, <coughs> if, you like a, if you like a junket. <laughs> and we were dining in Bradshaw's restaurant, and uh, one of the dishes on the menu was kangaroo steak and witchetty grub sauce. And I thought, oh, no, I could not possibly go for that. And they said, look, if you can possibly try it, I think you'll really enjoy it. So I said, oh, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. And it was one of the most delicious sauces. The meat was fine, too, uh, the way it was cooked. And... Uh, uh, the witchetty grub sauce was was really tasty. It was sort of like a very nutty taste. Yeah, yes. Um, if you've had brain or uh, sweet bread, you know, it's very similar to those. I, I love sweet bread. I love the way the French cook them and the Italians cook them. And it always reminds me of uh, the, the sweet bread, that sort of creamy flavour that, that it has, yeah. So, yeah. So the Wichita Grubs were quite a bit. There was a restaurant in South Fremantle. I'm scratching my brain. It was 20 years ago, but they had it on the menu. It was, mm. They did a lot of uh, indigenous food there, and this was sort of ahead of its time because indigenous food has come up very strongly, say, in the last 10 years more than anything. Um, but, yeah, they had it there, and I've tried it there a couple of times. Um, yeah, interesting. People get a chance to try it. Step forward, especially if you like uh, soft offal. You'll like that. Well, yeah, I wouldn't recommend just eating. I've I've never tried, so I can't recommend or otherwise, but I couldn't just down a witchetty grub per se, but the uh, when it's ground into a sauce, it's a sort of a lemony-coloured sort of a a sauce and and very nutty, and I would recommend that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you probably haven't been hungry enough. Have you? That's <laughs> I've been hungry. I don't think I've been that hungry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, if I come across it, I, I would I would, I would, have it again, yeah. Uh, Good. I'd quite like it. Uh, so the, the only thing is you've got to get them fresh. I, I, I know we've taken too long on these witchetty grubs, but if the witchetty grubs have been around for a while, the, the membrane on the outside gets a little bit hard. Then you really have to bite on them and they sort of squirt a bit and that's less uh, desirable than having nice fresh ones when you bite them just 
gently comes over your palate, you know? Yeah. I'm going to think about that. In fact, we, <laughs> we, we will think about this for a little while longer, if you don't mind, John. We do need to take a break. So with your indulgence, we'll do that right now, and we shall be okay. back very, very soon. Fine. We are talking food with the gourmet godfather, John Mayorana. This is History on a Plate, a segment that I really enjoy when it comes around from time to time. John, um, welcome back. And I just wanted to go back a little bit, if you don't mind, just to dwell on those uh, Aboriginal seasons. And I have said for many, many years on this show and others that the Aboriginal people have got it exactly right. Our seasons are all over the place. Uh, um, they're late, that we've only got four of them. And uh, to, to, suggest, for example, that uh, summer's December, January, February uh, is ridiculous. I mean, March is, can be and is, you know, generally relatively hot. But when you break it down into those six Aboriginal seasons, they are spot on. Yeah, they make a lot of sense, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they like that. They have two summers. The first summer, I think it's called the Dirac. And I hope my Indigenous friends... Forgive my pronunciation, but the bon- Bonnaroo is the second summer, and that's uh, the December, January for the first, and February, March. And March is a very hot uh, month here in of Perth. Of course, and, uh, it is. Yeah, so the Noongar has really got that bit right. Then you have an autumn, which is a, and our autumn is uh, sort of short, the Jiran, uh, and that's um, April and May. The Makaroo is uh, the start of winter, and it's also the season of fertility. I don't know whether. That means, of course, things got cold, people got closer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's maybe it. That's that. And then the, uh, the first spring and the second spring they have. Uh, so, yeah, uh, one bit here that worried me when I was doing my research on this, um, season of fertility was June and July, and then the first spring of August and September was the season of conception. So, mm-hmm. you know... That fertility rights really work well. <laughs> that's, that's what they call them, the season of fertility and then the season of consistency. Well, it's got to have something going for it, I reckon. Anyway, <laughs> let, let's get back to the indigenous foods, both those of uh, animal origin and also we, we shouldn't forget uh, all you know the fruits and, uh, and veggies and that sort of thing. That's right. Yeah, they, they're all about... Um, uh, they're very much a meat-eating um, uh, culture and... Modern, modern people or modern uh, food experts would say that their food lacked uh, uh, some essential parts. There was very little gr- uh, grain and uh, very little uh, milk, apart from uh, the normal breastfeeding. There was no other milk in their diet. So this is quite uh, contrary to what modern nutritionists would recommend in uh, our society. However, they, they, the early visitors all seemed to think that the indigenous people were in excellent health. So their, their menu or their diet seemed to work for them. Once uh, the British arrived and the sheep uh, grazed by the millions on the land, it changed uh, the outlook of the, ter- of the food scene for the Aborigines quite significantly. Uh, and, and I guess they... Uh, they became more meat-loving people, meat-consuming people, I should say, uh, than they were before because of its availability and also before because the pasteurised fields were taking away some of their natural uh, eating uh, components, if you can put, uh, can put it that way. Mm. Uh, so it, it changed quite a bit. Now, we can't talk about this without mentioning the damper and, the, and what the um, 
the British brought in the the idea of tea and the billy tea became very popular with the with the Aboriginal people. And um, uh, when a sweet when I wanted something sweet, it was sweetened with honey, which was collected from flowers by the women uh, and from inside trees where they found some. So that that was um, um, quite a, a significant change. Uh, I think sweetness came a, a lot stronger with the arrival of the um, the British in, in uh, 1788. Uh, so that was part of it. Now, uh, the interesting part of all of this is that there are lots and lots of uh, different plants and different food that are available. And restaurants around uh, are taking these on board and in this modern Australian cuisine, they are using these uh, ingredients that were available to them uh, now and in lots of cases, using European cooking techniques to bring them to uh, to an end. Um, you couldn't go and talk about this without mentioning Yarry's down in uh, Dunsworth. It's one of the first to recognise the six season menus and uh, the work that they do. Their food is uh, really outstanding. Uh, they would use, uh, uh, on their typical menu, they would use uh, 10, 15 different ingredients which are Push stuck ingredients uh, modified for the use of restaurants with other food. Uh, kangaroo, emu, uh, and all of those are used. Uh, some of the other restaurants around us use it a lot. Wildflower, I had been at Wildflower uh, recently, and I was uh, not amazed, but it was, it was very pleasing to see them using the Aboriginal um, indigenous foods uh, and um, mi- mixing it with what they've done. And half started as well at the Ritz Carlton. And uh, in the in the re- renewing of uh, the Royal Hotel, the restaurant that opened up as Fleur is also another one that's using a lot of indigenous products on their menu, mixed up with other. Emu kangaroo, of course, we know about those. Some of the places are using something called mound trees, which are like emu apples. They're, they're, the alternative name is emu apples. Uh, the kwandong, or the native peach, as it's also known, is used to make a reduction uh, sauce, uh, very similar to a uh, technique to what you had your wickety grubs with. Uh-huh. Um, the of course, uh, they are a standby. The extensive use of saltbush, uh, Harvey, that's, uh, you go around and just about everybody's got a bit of saltbush in one of the dishes or other. Um, there's an Australian uh, there's there's a raisin that's around, and if you can get that, it's fantastic. Uh, I recently had uh, dinner at um, Fleur's, as I said, also, and they use something called a Davidson's plum as part of the dessert. You know, it's a small, like a plum type, but it's, you wouldn't know it as a plum. But they get that down into a sort of a jammy finish and put it in with the uh, ice confectionery. And of course, finger limes are everywhere these days. You know, you get finger limes, and these are just some some of the products that are strongly being used in our restaurants today. Wonderful stuff, for sure. Um, There's another Aboriginal food which was very, very popular, and I imagine still is in Tasmania. I can remember as a kid growing up in Tassie, uh, everyone used to go mutton birding because... uh, Ah, yes. Yeah, mutton birds were very popular there. Very big, very big, yes. Uh, uh, They they still use uh, quite, quite a bit around the place. Um, mutton birds. Uh, 
Uh, I've never tried them. I don't know. Did you ever try them in mm, your Tasmanian days? I did. Um, they were very, very rich from my uh, recollection. Very oily, you know. Yeah. But I, that, yeah. that may be the way they were cooked. Uh, you know, by the the family who um, who got them and um, and put them on the table. So I don't. I don't really. Know. I don't think. Again, I, it doesn't really appeal to me. Nor, by the way. <laughs> does eating penguins, but uh, the Aboriginal people used to tuck into a bit of nice penguin from time to time, I believe. Yeah, I understand that. But I didn't find much evidence in the research I did. I didn't go crazy and research everything, but uh, I did have a long look over the, the last couple of weeks trying to get a better understanding of what our uh, Indigenous brothers have brought to us. And we always talk about what we did to them. They brought us very many good things also. But they, I didn't come across in penguins, although I'd heard about it, I didn't read about it anywhere. Because yeah. uh, according to your notes here, they uh, ate not only mutton, bird and penguins, but they ate the not only the flesh, but the eggs as well. Yeah, the eggs were, were, were very uh, popular. Uh, and, um, yeah, I guess that they would be... Uh, when you when you've got them available like that, um, was, was there any particular seafood that uh, the indigenous oh, seafood uh, was very popular? They haven't mentioned, but wherever they went, whatever there was, they would catch. They had um, spears uh, to catch fish with. Uh, they were great lovers of shellfish, all the different uh, crustaceans or uh, mollusks, uh, which whichever came along. They were great. Uh, they certainly knew how to uh, go and. Good stuff. And one of the great things that I read about uh, in looking is that their desire to use up everything that they took out of nature, which is you know, a very good concept that we should all be practicing all the time because, you know, if you take something from nature, you make sure you eat all of it because if you don't, you're going to take twice as much because you're going back to nature a bit early for the next one. Mm. You make a good point here too in your notes where the European settlement uh, for you know, for better or for worse, we're not going to get into that debate, but uh, the British arrival did drastically disrupt Aboriginal society and its food culture, and that was, of course, because of uh, perhaps in part, as you point out, a million sheep grazed on land. Yes, that's a million sheep and uh, broad acre farming, which quickly followed, and that was on land which was traditionally feeding the Aboriginal people, so whatever was on that land before was no longer there, and in their circling around, in the, in the yearly treks as they went around the season where they, they knew food would be, if they came to spots where there was no more food. They hung around a lot on the outskirts of these uh, uh, British uh, uh, sites where they had the sheep or whatever and shared food with uh, the, the graziers of the time. That's quite a, a common thing that I've read about is that uh, groups of Aboriginals would hang around the outskirts of of the pasture land and uh, share the food with the Aborigines, with the uh, Indeed. Well, there's no doubt that our Aboriginal friends can teach us a thing or two about a lot of th- a lot of things, and uh, food is very much up there among the uh, very important uh, parts of their culture that they have passed on to us. And I do yeah. thank you for highlighting that tonight on Remember When. John, looking forward to the next time we chat. Thank you, Harvey. Have a good week.